Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Hey everyone, today we're going to do a deep dive and demystify the ancient healing modality of Ayurveda. And we're going to do that with the one and only Sahara Rose, who we have a new class with on Mind Buddy Green. Now, our friend Deepak Chopra has called Sahara a leading voice in the millennial generation into the new paradigm shift. And Vogue has said that Sahara knows how to bring the age old philosophy of Ayurveda into a modern era. We could not agree more. And we even have a class with Sahara on this very topic called the modern approach to Ayurveda, which you can find at mindbodygreen.com slash Ayurveda. And for our podcast audience only, you can get 20% off with code PODCAST20. That's code PODCAST20. And today, we're going to talk all things Ayurveda. Sahara, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. It is so great to have you here. It's good to be back. So Ayurveda, let's just start with what is Ayurveda? Mm, Yeah, big question that a lot of people are having, which is really exciting. The word Ayurveda means the knowledge of life. So it originates from the Vedas, which are the eldest ever recorded texts that come from ancient India over 5,000 years ago. So from the Vedas came yoga, which is the practice most of us are familiar with, but also many other practices. So what we know as feng shui actually came from something called Vastu Shastra, which came from the Vedas. Our Western astrological system came from Jyotish, which is the knowledge of the stars, which came from the Vedas, and then Ayurveda. So Ayurveda, knowledge of life, is about balancing the mind and the body. So yoga, for example, most of us think yoga is, you know, if I have anxiety or I have tight hamstrings or whatever, I do yoga, but actually yoga was originally created to be a spiritual practice. The word yoga means to yoke. It means to become one with Brahma, universal source consciousness. But what they quickly realized is you're not going to become one with source when your stomach hurts and you have a backache and all of these mental and physical ailments that so many of us suffer from. So Ayurveda is almost like the predecessor. And it says, well, for you to truly practice yoga, to become one with the universe, you need to balance this physical and mental bodies of yours because they're considered both bodies. So in Ayurveda came nutrition, self-care, meditative practices, etc., but with the goal of mental and physical balance. So what led you to Ayurveda? Mm-hmm. There's an ancient system. Yes. You are not an ancient system. Yes. It definitely wasn't the sexiest topic to go into, um, but I think most healers only go into it originally because they needed the healing themselves, and that's definitely the case for me. I was not on a nutrition path at all. I grew up very unhealthy, eating lots of junk food, and When I later got into college, I got more into nutrition just for fun for myself. I had a raw vegan blog. I was very in the raw vegan world. And at first I felt really good going from eating junk food to having salads and smoothies and all of these things. But after a couple months, I started to notice my health was deteriorating. And, you know, a lot of times you don't want to admit it, especially when you're doing everything quote unquote right. So what I first started to notice was if I would just food combine the smallest way incorrectly, I would have such bad digestive issues like curling on the couch in so much pain. And then from there, I began to notice I was losing a lot of hair. I was losing a lot of weight. I kept getting injured. I lost my period. It didn't come back months, a year 
two years. And essentially my body was shutting down and I went, got so many blood tests, so much work done, and my body had gone into perimenopause. I had no more estrogen left in my system, like literally at, at zero and testosterone was testosterone was at four. So it, I was completely out of balance and I was 21 years old at the time wow. and no doctor really knew what was wrong. And I knew, you know, one day I want to have kids. So what am I going to do? They're like, oh, well, there's IVF, you know, one day you can, you can think about that. And I knew intuitively that there was something wrong deeper within the fact that my body couldn't function, but I didn't know where to turn. So that's when I started to learn more about gut health, more about Chinese medicine, more about these ancient practices. And finally, I learned about Ayurveda. And Ayurveda was so interesting for me because they take a personality quiz. And from that personality quiz, they give you health suggestions. And I've always loved a good personality quiz like Myers-Briggs, like any personality quiz, like I'm there. And I took this personality quiz and it told me Vata. And as I was reading the description of this Vata dosha, this Vata archetype, it was like everything that was happening to me that I wasn't even sure was like an issue all in one archetype. And it felt like I was literally reading my autobiography. So from anxiety to insomnia, to being someone that has a lot of ideas, but sometimes you have so many ideas that you don't know which one to start. You're a really good starter and not as good of a finisher. And I was like, wow, that, that really is me. But then all the digestive issues, bloating, gas, constipation, the hormonal imbalance, the constantly getting injured, the losing hair, the losing weight, the feeling so cold all the time, I would literally be shivering in bed. And I grew up in Boston. It's always been cold, but for some reason, I just couldn't do it anymore. And all of this was just in like one classification that I was like, this knows my life. Like what is happening? So I became so fascinated because for the first time, it's like all of these pieces of the puzzle were put together. And that's just what made me want to learn everything there was about Ayurveda. And so how long was the process where you started to implement Ayurveda in your everyday life to, wow, I'm starting to feel really better. I'm starting to see results. Within a week, I noticed my mood was different. So most of us, we've only lived in our own brains. We don't know what it's like to be someone else. So I thought it's normal to have all of these thoughts racing all the time and you're not even able to focus. Like I just thought that was normal. And once I started to eat more grounding foods, sweet potatoes, things that I was actually afraid of as a raw vegan, you know, oh, it's cooked, it has no nutrients in it, you can't have it. And then once I started to, first I had to really get over it, but once I started to incorporate those things, I felt grounded. You know, for the first time I was able to not be thinking all the time, not be super in my head, like not take four hours to fall asleep every single night that I'm like, okay, something different is happening. So I kept it up, but I also was at this weird predicament with Ayurveda because a lot of the suggestions were going so against everything that I had learned. You know, I did IIN and I studied sports nutrition. And I was all about, you know, what's the latest in the nutrition world? And a lot of the things they said, especially coming from that raw vegan background, were total opposites. So I was moving at this pace of trying, okay, what can I incorporate with what modern nutrition says? So I'm not gonna go straight into rice and ghee. That doesn't sound right to me, but the sweet potatoes do and the root vegetables do and more ginger and more cumin and, and things like that. So I was taking Ayurvedic concepts, the overarching guidelines about balancing each dosha, especially the vata dosha for me, and then seeing how can I incorporate modern nutritional science. So after my mood felt better, I noticed I wasn't as cold all the time. 
people used to come up to me being like, are you okay? Like, you look sick. Like, I looked like that. And, you know, a lot of times you're resistant until people come up to you later like, wow, you look so much healthier. You look so much better. I was able to do a yoga class and not feel like I was going to faint. I was able to digest food and not feel like I was in so much pain. And then eventually this probably took honestly a year for me to get my period back. And that's when I really knew that my body had healed itself. And then from there, the benefits went into more spiritual benefits and finding my purpose. And and it's almost like this natural progression in Ayurveda or any wellness practice. And what Mind Body Green exemplifies so well is that when you heal your physical body, then you ask yourself, well, what is my purpose? How can I serve? And that was just the natural progression for me. So in this process, essentially, you took this amazing ancient system and gave it a little bit of a reboot to make it a bit more modern, a bit more approachable. In that process, was there a little resistance? I'm guessing there was. Absolutely. I mean, the biggest resistance came from me. It came from, <laughs> who am I? This system has existed for thousands of years and they must have something right. And who, who am I to say that you shouldn't eat rice and ghee and lentils for every single meal? I mean, maybe, maybe it's right. Maybe I have no idea what I'm talking about. But then when I would get myself to do it, I'm like, I feel like I'm not getting any vegetables. Like, I feel like it doesn't make sense that I can never eat raw food ever again when in so many cultures and blue zones where people are centurions, they've been eating these foods for just as long. So how could this make sense? And it took a lot of courage on my own part to be able to question something because we've been brought up to take things as they are and not question the norms, especially something ancient. And what I realize is that the truths in Ayurveda, the ethos of Ayurveda is eternal. It never changes. I can't change the description of vata, pitta, kapha, agni, the things we'll talk about. I can't change those because they're eternal. However, our population has changed. Our climate has changed. Our society has changed. We don't work on farms anymore. We have refrigerators. We have GMOs. Things are different. So we can't ignore that and pretend we live in ancient India, whereas a lot of people live in totally different climates as well and say, well, because they ate that way at that time, that's how we should always eat. And if you can't eat like that, you can't do Ayurveda. But the only way that Ayurveda will grow and spread and honestly, the people who've been the most influential Ayurvedic doctors, people who've brought Ayurveda to the world, like Deepak Chopra and Dr. Suhas Kashir Sagar, are huge supporters of me because they realize that the only way that Ayurveda will grow and survive is if we adapt it to what people need in today's time. And that's exactly what Ayurveda says too. Ayurveda is a living science. It is a changing science. It is always shifting with the population. So we're actually going against Ayurveda to say that it can only look like this when Ayurveda has never even always looked like that. It, it looked different before the British rule. It looked different after. There's a whole history to how Ayurveda has shifted. And I think a lot of us, again, we're bringing that textbook school you know, mindset to things. Well, this is what the book says. And the book was created before uh, an orange that your grandmother had had eight times more vitamin C, the orange that you had, or that we don't have the same minerals in the soil. And, you know, all of the things that are just clear facts today, we have to look at that and see now, how can I bring in my dosha and these ancient systems and then apply it to what's happening to me in real time? I love that. So what are some of the biggest misconceptions about Ayurveda today? 
So I think one of the biggest ones is exactly that, that Ayurveda is kitri, and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) That if you can't eat kitri, you're out. (laughs) And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why Ayurveda has not been on the forefront of the health movement the same way that macrobiotics became, which is also based off of Ayurveda or TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. In year 800 AD, Chinese scholars came to ancient India, learned about Ayurveda, and turned it into TCM, both a five-elemental system. But why is it so much more common and popular? Because they were more open to change. They were more open to flexibility. They look at, okay, like what is happening to this person right now? And they adapt it. And I think with Ayurveda, there just haven't been enough people who've done that. There definitely is more of that happening. I'm doing it. But... It just hasn't had that same movement towards modernization and globalization, which we're really living in. So that is a big misconception. I think a big misconception is not being able to eat raw foods. That was one that kept me away from Ayurveda for a long time. And what I realized is that in India, if you've ever, have you been to India? I have not. So the first thing they'll tell you is don't eat raw foods. (laughs) And the reason why is because there's so much bacteria in the soil. So there are a lot of amoebas, which are single-celled parasites, as well as just all sorts of bacteria that many of us are not used to, even many people in India are not used to. So if you eat raw foods that haven't been actually like simmered, you are very susceptible to having bacterial parasites, et cetera. So no one is supposed to eat raw food in India, though I was a raw vegan in India, which is a whole other story. People used to call me the cow because they had never seen someone eating raw greens before. It was weird to them. But what I realized is that if you clean them the right way, you can still have them. Again, I wouldn't say for everyone in India, but in other parts of the world. I think no mushrooms. In modern Ayurveda, talking post-British colonial Ayurveda, they say don't eat any mushrooms. Like, no kind of mushrooms at all. And I'm like, how does that make sense? Because, you know, living in Delhi, we ate mushrooms all the time. There's many mushrooms in Kashmir, which is the northern part of India, and there are delicacies there. So I said, how can Ayurveda say you can't eat mushrooms when there are mushrooms growing there? So this one actually took me a very long time to get to the bottom of when I was writing my book, Eat, Feel Fresh, which is my modern approach to Ayurveda. I was taking all of these these things that they said that weren't making sense to me and trying to get to the bottom of it scientifically. So I spoke to a lot of mushroom foragers. I spoke with taro, mm-hmm. horse sigmatic. And, and what I came to is that the reason why Ayurveda says you can't eat mushrooms actually comes from the British. Because when the British ruled over India, they saw that there were mushrooms and they were psychedelic. So they didn't want people to ingest the psychedelic mushrooms. So they said mushrooms are tamasic, which means essentially they're going to make you dull. They're going to make you tired. They're going to make you fall asleep, which is an effect of psychedelic mushrooms. So it's interesting how something that's actually from an outside culture made people think it's not safe to eat a plant that has always existed there, that a lot of people in India are afraid of mushrooms. And as we know, mushrooms are extremely beneficial for your health. Again, like don't pick a random one from the ground. Um, So a lot of these things we just need to look at. And then when we're able to really look at where does it come from, we can see, does this serve me or does it not? You know, again, there were no refrigerators in ancient India. So when they said, don't eat any food that's been cooked more than three hours ago, 
that makes total sense when you're in 120 degree India and the food has been sitting there for three hours. Don't eat that. That's going to go bad. But we have refrigeration. We have ways to properly store food. And on top of that, we don't all live in the kitchen, nor do we want to. So how can you expect someone to constantly make food, eat it, throw everything away, no leftovers allowed? Again, if you go back to it, you realize that given the circumstances today, that actually doesn't need to be the case. So that's why I love looking at things from a modern perspective, because you can see that a lot of the misconceptions are not even truly accurate statements that they would make for today's population. Mm, I love that. So people tend, when you mentioned our Ayurveda, people tend to go, okay, doshas. What dosha am I? Yes. What does it mean? <laughs> so I, I think we have to talk about the doshas. Let's just go through the doshas and and more generally, okay, what does each mean in terms of how I should eat, how I should live? Yeah. So people love the doshas because I think it's from this one-size-fits-all approach to health that we've experienced um, <laughs> that people really want something personal. And I'm sure you're seeing this as a huge just health trend. How can I personalize things, customize things? And I think that this is really powerful way of moving forward because we need to. But I think where people get stuck is they think they're one dosha and they're like, I'm just this dosha, so I'm not going to read anything else. I'm only going to do the things for the dosha when you're not. So the word dosha means energy. They are three energy types and they're comprised of the five elements. So the five elements are air, space, fire, water, and earth. And they come together to create these three doshas. So vata is air and space. So to make it simple, just think air. Pitta is fire and water. To keep it simple, think of it as just fire because it's two thirds fire and one third water. So pitta, fire. Kapha is earth and water. To keep it simple, think earth. So what is pitta, Jason? Earth. Fire. Fire. What's kapha? Water. Earth. Earth. <laughs> What's vata? I'm already confused. We got to keep practicing. I'm already confused. So vata, air. Pitta, fire. Kapha, earth. Okay. So guys, like, put this on your wall. <laughs> once, you, once you learn about them, it becomes very, very simple and very something that you're going to notice in everything. Honestly, the best part about learning about the doshas is once you know them, you're going to look at your whole life from the lens of these doshas and everything's going to make more sense. So we have the three doshas, the three energy types, but we're all a combination of all three. So you were born with a unique constitution of all three. You may have been born primarily vata, air, secondarily pitta, fire, thirdly kapha, earth, or another combination. Maybe two are very close for you and one is further away. Maybe three are quite close for you. Everyone is different. It's like a deck of cards you were handed. It's your DNA. So we're all a combination of all three doshas, but in varying amounts. And then these doshas can come out of balance from our diet, lifestyle, stress, exercise, etc. So we begin to experience imbalances of the doshas, excess of the doshas. So when we're balancing a dosha, really what you're working with is which dosha is too high in me right now, which may not be the one you were born with. So I think that's where people got confused. They take a dosha quiz and they get the results and they think, oh, I had all of the pitta issues. I must be a pitta, but you may just have a pitta imbalance. So I want to preface that by saying it because a lot of people get very confused. They get stuck on, I'm just this one dosha, but you can actually have an imbalance of any of the three doshas, of all three doshas at the same time. It's, it's possible. But what you're going to work on balancing is the one that is 
creating the most problems in your life and bringing that back into balance. Are you able to do spot dosha readings? Yeah. So, I mean, I can share what each dosha is and everyone can do spot dosha readings. So vata is air. So if I was like, ah, oh, Jason, that girl is so airy. What do you think she's like? What's her personality? I would say probably a little out there in the clouds. Mm -hmm. You're making me an expert now. Yeah. So you just said- I, I'm so bad. I get these mixed, mixed up all the time. Yeah. Well, it's so exactly. So you just said in the clouds, which is perfect. In the English language, we say head in the clouds. Mm -hmm. She's a space cadet. She's airy fairy. She doesn't have her feet on the ground. Perfect vata right there. So we have these words in the English language. We're working with the doshas all the time. We just don't notice it. So when we think of an airy person, we can kind of think of that personality. But also, you know, what do you think this person is good at? They're probably very creative. They probably think outside the box. They probably see things from a higher vision because mm -hmm. they have this almost like lofty bird's eye perspective. So that's the Vata personality, creative, visionary. You know what the Supper Club was just about having that vision. That's Vata. So we can think about Steve Jobs. He's a very good example of the Vata personality type. He imagined this world where we had these devices that controlled our lives. And, you know, what a, what a person who was able to see things that no one else was. On top of that, we can look at what Steve Jobs' body looked like. So he was someone that was tall, lanky. So someone that was born with a lot of vata in their natural born constitution would have that type of body. Doesn't mean 100%, but if you think of Steve Jobs, Ashton Kutcher, Natalie Portman, they have these taller, lankier bodies, Gwyneth Paltrow, etc. Almost like a marathon runner or a ballerina. So these are people who have a harder time putting on muscle mass, gaining weight. They can sometimes have um, irregularities in their bodies. Sometimes, you know, they get injured because they're not doing things with proper form. So that's a vata skeletal structure. Now, when we look at vata from digestion, it's air. So what would too much air look like in my stomach? Like if I was like, oh, Jason, I feel like I have a lot of air. Bloated. Bloated, yeah. exactly. Gassy, it's air moving through. What are the qualities of the air? It's cold, it's dry. So what would my colon be? It would be constipated. So again, just think air. What is cracking? It's air, it's air moving through the body. If you're not getting your period, what happened? It dried up. What's menopause? Drying. What would that look like in your skin? Dry cold. What would it look like in your hair? Dry, cold. What's eczema? Dry. So you see, okay, what would air look like in this, in this part of the body, in this part of the personality? And you get the answer. So that's how a lot of us, we have this wisdom inside of us. And that's really what Ayurveda is all about, tapping into the intuitive wisdom that already exists inside of you. So if you're experiencing symptoms of air, bloating, gas, constipation, Anxiety. What is anxiety? We have so many thoughts that we're not able to ground it. So that's air. It's the wind. Can you predict which direction the wind is going to go? No. And that's vata. It's, it's unpredictable. Sometimes you're hungry. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're tired. Sometimes you're not. You don't really like routine. You just kind of like to go with the flow. That's vata. It's almost erratic. So you can have this dosha be in balance. You can take the, the great aspects of it like the being quick, being creative, having that visionary personality, 
But if it gets excess, you're not balancing it with the other two doshas, the fire and the earth, that's when it becomes too much. That's when it becomes insomnia. You're staying up all night thinking, thinking, thinking because you're not grounded. So the most common imbalance I see, especially amongst health conscious women, is vata. And the reason why is what are the foods recommended? Well, go on a juice cleanse. Better yet, just a celery juice cleanse and have these cold smoothies and this cold salad. And like, if you think about it, I mean, especially in the health conscious community, it's like, when's the last time you had something warm? Everything is cold. You could go months with only eating cold foods. You're getting your food delivered and it's just salads and smoothies and you think you're being super healthy, but you're suffering from all of these issues and you don't know why. And this is the vata imbalance. Our society also is extremely vata. We're quick, we're doing a lot of things, we're multitasking. If you're not multitasking, you're falling behind. And this creates vata, it creates so much air, wind, restlessness. We're traveling. What happens when you travel? You're up in the air. You're not grounded. You don't know what time zone you're in. Vata. So this is why vata is the dosha that falls out of balance very quickly. And even in the ancient Vedic text, they said it's the dosha that falls out of balance the quickest, but you can bring it back into balance the quickest. So things like having grounding foods, root vegetables, foods grown under the earth, sweet potato, beets, parsnip, ginger, literally think fall foods. Why do we like pumpkin spice lattes? It's mm-hmm. vata balancing. Think warm, think stews, think curries, think things that will literally warm your body. And then even putting oil on your skin, like sesame oil is called the mother oil because it's so warming and grounding. And these practices, I swear, if you try them, whether you feel like you're very vata or just a little bit, especially in the colder months, fall, winter, everyone's vata falls out of balance. And especially on top of that, if you're traveling. So doing these tips is gonna help balance your vata no matter if you're like textbook vata or just sometimes have the imbalances. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, something I've always loved about Ayurveda is it's a clear system. I think we all kind of like systems where a lot of people are like, just tell me what to do. But it's it's a system that's big enough where it doesn't feel restrictive. And there's almost like a nourishing comfort aspect to it which i think where you go with the seasons and how do you feel and that's something personally i've always thought was pretty cool Mm -hmm. whereas so much specifically today in wellness is like no 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 yes (laughs) you can't have that you can't have that you can have this and then what am i left to eat Absolutely, which just creates more stress and and Mm -hmm. more imbalance. So that's really what Ayurveda is about. And it's not this like hard, fast rule because again, everyone's body is different. The seasons are different. So maybe you're very vata, but in the summer, you don't really have these problems. So you don't have to follow them as much to a T. So I think what people like is also what confuses them because they're like, well, then what is the meal plan for just me? And it's like, that's always changing. There's so many components happening. So you yourself, you again, you have to use your intuition and use your body as a compass to see, do I need this much warming? Okay, if I have something raw, how do I feel? Do I go back to super bloated? Okay, I can't do raw right now. In my process of healing, I could not eat raw foods for two years. Right. But now I can eat them again. Well, a core principle is listening to your body. Exactly. Which I think is just power because it forces you to, to pay attention. How do you pay attention? Like what the, then encourages practices like mindfulness and yoga and so forth because you're tuning in and you're slowing down and just it, it, it's a it's a perpetual cycle, which yes. is a good one. 
Yes. Yeah. And, and one worthy of everyone learning, even if it feels confusing. It's like, once you learn about this, you don't have to ask anyone else, what should I eat or not? You will be able to tell yourself. So are you able that when you meet people, you can just spot like, I think they're this or that? Or I can. Yeah, absolutely. So for example, with a Vata shape of the face, people born with Vata, they tend to have longer faces, more narrow faces. You have more of a Vata face. Um, and then like structurally, like they're often like tall and lean. So you kind of have like a Vata Pitta body. Some of Vata Pitta. Is that your... Uh... That's what I think. <laughs> but we'll see when we talk about the other doshas what ends up coming up because you might not have the imbalances of both. Maybe you you feel like you're more pitta, et cetera. But from a physiological perspective, you could definitely tell. Um, another way to tell is by the size of the wrists. If you place your hand around your wrist and you have a lot of space between your finger and your... Um, your wrist, that's more of a vata wrist. So vatas have smaller skeletal structures. They're small bones. I don't pass that one. Okay. So if it's exactly (laughs) touching like yours, that's pitta. So pitta is sort of just medium skeletal structure. And then if your fingers are not touching, that's more kapha. They just have more dense bones. Another thing is the size of the hips. If you're someone that has more narrow hips, it's vata, medium, pitta, wider hips, kapha, shape of the tongue. Longer tongue, pitta, medium tongue, pitta, uh, wider tongue, kapha. So every part of the body actually has a way that you could see what dosha it's related to. Um, But again, what is most important is where are your imbalances. Mm -hmm. All right, so should we go to one more? Yes, so we'll dive into pitta. So pitta is fire. So if I was like, ooh, that girl is super fiery, what do you think she's like? Maybe... uh... A little more provocative, a little bit more uh, aggressive in conversation, a little bit uh, very strong point of view. This girl is on fire. Reminds me of our three-year-old, our soon-to-be (laughs) three-year-old. Totally. So, yeah, we mine, think mine, mine, mine. Exactly. Which is interesting because <laughs> around three years old is when the solar plexus chakra is really being developed, and that's willpower. So that's I hope why we're seeing there's, it. There's a lot of that. This is mine. And she, as we joke, she loves to exercise her willpower every day. Yeah. I want it. No, I don't want it. She's creating I a want it. No, healthy I don't want solar it. plexus right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, Pitta is fire. So, fire is sharp. It's determined and knows what it wants. So oftentimes people with Pitta personalities are leaders, they're entrepreneurs, they're CEOs. They're able to see the vision but also execute. So it's the energy of execution, of management, of getting it done. So if you think about, again, a lot of entrepreneurs like Gary Vee or athletes, we think of that Pitta personality. In the body, they tend to have more medium-shaped but muscular, tendency to gain muscle easily. So looking at Jennifer Aniston or Madonna, et cetera, we always you know, look at how strong she is. I went to a Madonna concert. She was like squatting the whole time and she's like she's in her amazing. mid-50s. I know. And that's that pitta. She has so much fire in her that she can just keep going and going and she just has more. And they're also transforming all the time. It's the energy of transformation. They're revamping themselves. So that pitta energy is going to make you very sharp and assertive, but sometimes life doesn't go your way. And things that you planned and scheduled, pittas really like a routine. They like to know what's happening next. They want that Q1 to Q4 goals. And if they don't go right, the fire can erupt. And that's when the volcano can, you know, 
get everyone burned. And this is when pittas can get impatient, irritable, angry. So this is, again, symptoms of too much fire at this point. You've taken the good qualities and now there's a little bit too much of that. So they need to, I feel like you're relating right now. This is, this is, our, this is our toddler. Oh, you're I'm gonna a toddler? I'm going to call this the toddler dosha. Yes. <laughs> what is your, what is your daughter's Ellie, name? Ellie. Ellie. She'll yeah. be, she's like two and three quarters, but this is exactly her at the moment. But again, she's in that stage right now. So it may be different for her later on. You can't really tell what dosha your kids are until they're like about adolescent because they're going to go through this the cycles and then also childhood is related to the kapha dosha because you're building your body but we'll talk about that but yeah so that pitta that pitta energy can be fiery it can be aggressive it can be angry it can be forceful and then physically if i have a lot of fire in my digestion what do you think that would mean Ooh, the runs the runs yes and heartburn Your heart is burning. It's the acidity. There's too much acidity and it's rising. So that's why your esophagus is burning. As we know, heat rises and that also creates acne. So acne is literally that heat. We call our stomach, our agni, our digestive fire. It's rising. The, The heat is trying to escape and it shows up not just as acne, but rashes, hives. This is all irritation. So in Pitta's excess, it's aggravated. It's Think about aggravations on your body. That's hives, that's rashes, that's rosacea, that's things showing up. It's inflammation in the system. So as a society at large, not health conscious community, but at large, there is a massive pit to epidemic happening. And if you look about, again, like in New York, people are honking at everyone and they're so angry and they want to be on time. And again, it's thinking that there's not enough for me, that it's either this person or me, so I have to step on top of them to get to where I want to be. When pit is in excess, it can get very competitive in nature. And that's what leads to, again, anger, frustration, pent-up emotions. So again, and from a more cosmic perspective, we're experiencing all of these fires. So what Ayurveda would say is that the fires within is a reflection of the fires without. So the fires in society, whether it's the actual fires, but also just gun violence and gang violence, et cetera, are a reflection of how much fire and aggravation and inflammation are happening within. So to balance pitta, you need cooling, you need hydrating, you need calming. Pittas tend to love pitta-enhancing foods like coffee and spicy foods and things that are very stimulating. And what they need more of is cooling, hydrating. They need more cucumbers and melons and berries and leafy greens and no sriracha, no hot sauce, no Tabasco, no Mexican Thai fusion takeout. They might want that because... In Ayurveda, a huge component is like increases like. So we think of a pendulum from balance to imbalance. And the more balanced you are, the more you crave the foods that bring you into balance, not just foods, but practices. But the more out of balance you are, the more the pendulum wants to shift into things that perpetuate your imbalance. So that's when the pitta, who's already very pitta, already very feisty, wants more coffee. I want my fourth one today. I want more spicy foods because they want to feel more like pitta, more on edge, more productive, but it's perpetuating the imbalance. Just like if we ate unhealthy food for a month, 
If we said, what does my body want? My body wants pizza because we've shifted that pendulum towards imbalance. But if you go and then decide, okay, for one week, I'm just going to eat super clean, you're going to start craving that again. So we can shift the pendulum at first. It could feel like you're making yourself do it because you don't want it. But when you do the things that are right for your body, it becomes intuitive. So for a pit out there, that's like, I literally could never give up coffee and spicy food. Like, don't talk to me anymore. Turn this podcast off. Just know that I'm not saying 100% drop it, but maybe a little bit less. Maybe you're having some things that are just really cleansing and simple to digest. Maybe you're mono-mealing a little bit, so you're not having a bazillion ingredients at a time. Maybe you're having a little bit less tomato and nightshades and garlic, which are also very pitta-enhancing. And your body might respond, and you may be like, wow, I feel really calm, and I'm not snapping at people as much. What is this? (laughs) And then that's going to lead to you wanting more of the pitta-balancing foods. So should we move on to the next dish, yeah? Yes. So that is kapha. So kapha is earthy. If I said, oh, Jason, hmm, that girl is so earthy, what do you think she's like? I feel like we're on the west the west side of L.A. It, yes. Cafe gratitude. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So that earthy personality is calm. It's loving. It's slow. Do you ever have guests on your podcast that talk a little bit more like this? Hmm. Now I'm trying to think who. We definitely have had some. <sighs> And how does it make you feel when makes someone's me talking this slow? Well, it depends what time of the day and what's going on <laughs> the day. And probably f- reach for more coffee before yes, I get lulled. Yes. So it's interesting because everyone's, everyone's relationship with the kapha is different. So kapha is the earth. If you think about the earth, the earth is the nurturer. It's the mother. It creates everything for us. It's like, oil, I got you. Water, I'm here. Like resources, take it. And then what ends up happening it gets depleted. So kapha is that energy of giving. It's that energy of nurturing. Kapha people are calm, loving, loyal, humorous. Oprah is a kapha. She's like kapha queen. So if you think about Oprah, why do we love Oprah so much? Because she's able to just sit and hold space and listen. And in that listening, in that space, She's able to take you so much deeper into yourself than you ever would have before. But why do we love Tony Robbins? Because he claps your hands and stomps your feet and makes some noise and he's so lit. He's so pitta. And when you're in a Tony Robbins conference, you feel that pitta and you're like, I'm unstoppable. I can do anything. I can walk on fire. It's like, coincidence? No. But you go to Dr. Joe Dispenza and it's like all like heady and scientific. And you're like, oh my God, wow, we don't even exist. Cool. And so Vata, you know? (laughs) So it kind of shows like what you need and who you're gravitating towards. Like I went to an Eckhart Tolle talk and he talks like this and like half the people were loving it they're just meditating to his words and then the other half were like going crazy and again it shows your relationship to the kapha what's your relationship like with that sacred pause and that space so with the kapha people they're slow they take their time they like to enjoy life they enjoy their chocolate they enjoy their sex they enjoy anything they're all about the pleasures of life but when there's too much of it it can lead to you being slow tired, lethargic, 
procrastinating, feeling like there's just too much to do and you don't even know how you're going to get it all done. And oftentimes you give to everyone else. You want to be there supporting that you end up giving from an empty cup. And you're like, why do my kids keep asking me for things? Why does my boss keep telling me to work more? Like, doesn't he see I do everything he says? And then you become resentful and passive aggressive and you're giving, but you don't really want to be giving. So that doesn't feel good. And you feel like you don't have any more energy inside of you yet. So you start wanting energy from food and you start binge eating and emotional eating. And then that makes you gain weight. And then you gain weight and you're more tired and you're more lethargic and you don't want to exercise. And the kapha continues to spiral out of balance. So this is super common with mothers. Because what are we told mothers should do? Put everyone in the family before you. And physically, we're in a very kapha time in our lives when we have children. We're literally earth for another being. We're creating life for them. So your body gets slower. It gets plumper. It gets juicier. But if that doesn't come back into balance, that can lead to you feeling sluggish, depressed, tired, feeling like, oh my God, like, I'm never going to be able to keep up with what people are doing these days, so I'm not even going to try. I'm not even that smart. And that's what so many mothers do, and then they end up resentful that they never got to live their lives for themselves because they were doing what society told them to do, putting others in front of them, and then they're gaining weight and being more tired, so it creates this further kapha imbalance. Another big sign of kapha imbalance is mucus. So anything like phlegm, mucus, cold, asthma, that's all related to kapha. So a good example of kapha is Robin Williams. He was making the world laugh. We all love Robin Williams so much. He had that kapha body type, more round, more plump, but he didn't speak his truth. He didn't share what was happening within, and because of that, he took his life. And though kaphas are the most loving and humorous and good-natured of all the three doshas, they're the most likely to suffer from depression. Mm. And what about the last one? So that's all three. Oh, that's right. Vata, Pitta, and Kapha. I'm like so bad like with... Uh, it takes a little... Bad. At the beginning, it's like shifting that I always that think pendulum. in the combinations too. And of I the five think, elements, yeah. 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 So it makes it easier to think that there's just three. And I think a lot of people listening right now is like, okay, well, what am I? I feel like my husband's this and my friend yes. is that, but what am I? And again, you're going to be all three, but in varying amounts. So you may have some of the vata creativity, but maybe part of you is kapha that you don't have that same energy. So maybe you have a kapha imbalance right now. Do you have the mucus issues? Are you gaining weight? Do you feel like you're at a slower part of your life? Are you resistant to change? then whatever imbalance is showing up, that's the dosha you need to balance. It's not just the dosha you were born with. That's actually secondarily um, important. The dosha that is excess right now, this is called your vikruti, that is the dosha you need to be paying attention to because that's what's creating issues in your life right now. Got it. Got it. So something we love at Mind Buddy Green, gut health. Mm -hmm. And the Ayurvedic point of view on gut health more specifically, this idea of digestive fire. I like butcher all the names. Agni. Mm -hmm. Do I have that right? Yes. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So in Ayurveda, it's not you are what you eat, but rather you are what you digest and assimilate. And this is very important because most of us brought up, okay, if I eat the most superfood and the most kales, I will be the most healthy. And I tried it. doesn't work, guys. What you have to do is eat foods that you can digest. 
and everyone's digestion is going to be different. So again, that more vata digestion is what's showing up for me, bloating, gas, constipation, feeling like the food is just getting stuck in my belly and I'm, it's not going anywhere. Whereas the pitta digestion, it's very fast. So maybe it's just moving right through you. You're like, I don't even feel like I'm taking in nutrients because I'm going to the bathroom immediately or I'm having a lot of heartburn and acidity or maybe even ulcers. That's the pitta digestion. Then kapha is slow and heavy. So maybe after a meal, you're just really tired. Maybe you want to take a nap. It's like Thanksgiving after every meal, which is a sign that your body's out of balance. So these are all signs related to the agni. The agni means digestive fire. So inside all of us, we have a fire. And that fire is taking in our foods, burning it, getting the nutrients, eliminating the waste. So when that fire is strong, not excess, not diminished, we're able to do that in a healthy way. But when it's having imbalances too little, too much, we have those different doshic imbalances. So I like to think of it like a campfire. Imagine if we were all making vegan, sugar-free, monk fruit sweetened s'mores <laughs> around a campfire and it was time to go to bed and we just let the fire go out. Well, that's like us going to sleep, right? We're fasting overnight. The fire is going out. Now, first thing in the morning, imagine we want this fire to come back and we're like, let's put an icy cold green smoothie on the fire. What's going to happen? The fire will go out. What if I put iced coffee on it? Fire will go out. So what can I do to bring the fire back? Do I put a lot of wood on it at once? No, the fire will go out. I need to gently rekindle the flames of the fire. So first thing in the morning, it's the most important time to have something warm. Coffee. Yes. <laughs> Before the coffee, because that's going to dehydrate you and perpetuate the pitta. And then soon you'll be like Ellie, mine. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, what you want to have first is something like a water or a tea. So we really like CCFT in Ayurveda, which stands for cumin, coriander, and fennel seeds. It's tridoshic, meaning it works for all three doshas. And you just take these ground seeds and you let it simmer in hot water. So it's like a tea of these seeds and it's very good for your digestive fire. Or you could just do hot water with lemon or your choice herbs. But having that warm drink first thing in the morning is going to rekindle that digestive fire. And then if you're someone that eats breakfast, having something warm. So in, in my book, Eat, Feel Fresh, I call them ohm meals instead of oat meals because it's actually made with cauliflower or zucchini or some type of vegetable, but it's warm and soupy and mushy. So it's very easy to digest and you're essentially waking your digestive system back up like, okay, it's time for us to get going. So then by the time it's lunch, your digestive fire is ready to absorb and break down and eat the foods that you're going to provide it with. We also move with the sun. So the noon, the sun is the highest in the sky. So that is your time to eat your biggest meal. It's pitta time. So in Ayurveda, we say have your biggest meal at noon and have smaller, simpler meals in the morning and at night. We also say wait four to six hours between each meal. A lot of us think, oh, I need to eat every three hours for my metabolism to run. But what Ayurveda would say is that if you're always eating, you're restarting the digestive system from the beginning. So again, it takes four to six hours for us to digest food. So if I eight and then two hours later I eat again instead of my body really giving its full energy to digest the food at the stage it's at there are six stages of digestion I'm starting it all over again so then that food just kind of sits there and then I'm starting the digestive system again so it's important for you to eat 
wait for it goes through the steps. People who are pitta tend to go through faster. That's why they tend to be hungrier. They even get very hangry if they don't have their meals in time. Whereas kapha people might just need one meal a day and they're not hungry and it's fine. And again, their body's not using as much energy so they don't need as frequent of meals. But it's important for you to realize when is my body asking me for food and to wait until it's actually hungry because that's the invitation to eat. That means the digestive environment has been prepared for you instead of just eating because you're stressed or you're tired or you're frustrated or whatever the issue is. And that's just going to create create ongoing digestive imbalances, which is just going to make that fire feel overloaded, overwhelmed, and not able to do its job. So you, a great example of this is warm water with lemon, something everyone can do. What are some other examples of just something super easy anyone listening could implement tomorrow in their life to start dabbling in Ayurveda? Yeah. So I would say try the CCFT. That's super easy. You could get those cumin, coriander, and fennel seeds ground. You get it anywhere. Just having that, let it steep in hot water for 10 minutes. Drink that. Another really powerful thing you can do is to drink water every 20 minutes. Set a timer on your phone and drink water not iced water, not an iced tea, but water that's ideally above room temperature. We want it to be as similar to our internal organs as possible so it doesn't require any energy expenditure. So room temperature is fine, but if you're chronically dehydrated, which is what this is going to test, a little bit above room temperature is good. So maybe you add some hot water with some room temperature water, set a timer on your phone, do this for like three days, and take a sip of water every 20 minutes. And if you notice that every 20 minutes you start getting thirsty, that's a sign that you are chronically dehydrated and your system just didn't have the opportunity to take in the hydration that it needed, which most of us are, especially if you're coffee, alcohol, et cetera, drinkers. So have if you think about like, elderly people. They're just like sipping tea throughout the day. They're not like chugging a massive ice water at once because they just worked out, which is what we do. And we're like, okay, I got my eight cups in like at once, but it's constantly giving your, your colon that hydration that it needs. So it doesn't get to that point of being dehydrated and parched, which is when the constipation and other issues happen. So take a sip of water every 20 minutes, even better if you could do the CCFT and that's something everyone can do. How many glasses of water do you drink a day? You know, again, I don't count because I don't, we go after frequency rather than quantity. So I'm constantly drinking water. I always have water around me. And I add, I also like to add trace minerals to my water to make sure I'm getting the minerals. I like to add different essential oils to my water. Um, rose water. I'm just like spicing it up all the time, but I'm just constantly drinking it that it's an intuitive thing for me that Mm -hmm. I don't have, I don't need to have the bottle that's like, did you drink me today? Because it's just part of my lifestyle. And that's the point of Ayurveda for this to be something intuitive that you don't have to focus any more energy and attention on making sure you're like the healthiest you possible, but you could use that energy to become your highest self. It becomes a lifestyle, not a chore. Exactly. I love that. So we have an incredible class with you. So talk a little bit like who's this class for? Who should take this class? Honestly, it's for anyone that is sick and tired of another diet they have to memorize and another fad, another this. And it's just so overwhelming. And I've been there. And I know at this point what we need as a society is to just have something that's super easy, super intuitive, that can work 
in our lifestyles that doesn't require a complete lifestyle a complete lifestyle overhaul but at the same time is holistic, something that's tried and true and works. And that's essentially what Ayurveda is. But what I've done in this course is really modernize it. So I look at what your busy life is like. What are the actual ingredients at your local grocery store and how can you make it work for you? We go very deep into the doshas, into their digestive processes, into looking at the digestion this Ayurvedic way. We talk a lot about the body as well as the mind and how to bring them into balance, seasonal eating all of this. So essentially this is the course that's going to give you all of the information you need to have a holistic and balanced lifestyle so you can become your own healer moving forward. I love it. I'm ready. I need some more Ayurveda in my life. Yes. To keep up with my three-year-old. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sahara. Thank you for having me.